You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, we begin a new sermon series entitled, Where's Your Presence?, with Senior Minister Adam Hale bringing us a message on our presence in the home. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. We're glad you're here this morning. It's, uh, it's been a good morning, and today we're starting a brand new series called, Where's Your Presence?, if you notice this morning, we're all decorated for Christmas. We've got all our Christmas trees up. And I just want to real quickly say thank you to the people who were here Monday that helped Tim decorate. I was not part of that group, but, but Tim and his group did a great job. Then it, it just looks beautiful. And there's been pictures posted on Facebook. And yeah. And uh, I get, I've gotten lots of compliments on, on just how beautiful our church is. And so. So thank you to you all who've done it. Quick question, how many, a show of hands, how many of you have started decorating your homes or you have finished decorating your homes for Christmas? Yeah, I'll put my hand down. <laughs> Mike, Mike's finished, he didn't start, but he's finished. I tell you, there, I'm going to sound like a Scrooge and, and so it's just gonna ha- you're just going to have to deal with it. There is nothing that I dislike doing more than decorating for Christmas. I love to look at it. Don't get me wrong, I love to look at it, but I hate doing it. And, here's, and, there, and, and there's a real good reason why. Because you only decorate for Christmas when it's cold outside. And that's where you do most of your decorating, right? You decorate outside, and it's cold. And I don't like the cold. And then when you take it down, you usually take it down in January. Some of you wait till February, and if you're from where I'm from, some of you, they wait till like May. And... Uh, and, and maybe that's what I should do because it's not cold in May. Because it's always colder when you take it down. And I just don't like doing it. And so, uh, I know I sound like a Scrooge, but that's just, that's just how I am, I guess. Another quick question. How many of you have put your trees up and you have a present under the tree? You have some presents under the trees. Anybody got presents under the tree? A couple of you. How many of you have gone to look and see if your name is on the present on the, underneath the tree? Yeah, this morning... Uh, in first service, my, I asked that question to my son Noah. He raised his hand. I said, yeah, that's right. And there's only one present under there, and it's got my name on it. This week, we're going to be, uh, this week and the next few weeks, we're going to be asking the question, where's your presence? Not presence like this, but presence as in where our influence is. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about where our presence is in our homes, where our presence is in the church, and where our presence is in the community, and in the world. And we want this series to, to be about helping each of us find our presence in those places. And what I think we will see is that as we look at that, we will find not only where our presence is, but we also might find out where our presence is not. And, and real quickly, here's why we want to have presence. We want to have presence in those places because we want influence. Right? That's kind of the one thing that everybody wants to have. That everybody wants to be influential. Everybody wants to be able to influence someone else. And as Christians, that's okay. Because we're supposed to have influence. We need to influence the world. And if we don't have influence in our homes, and in the church, and in the community, then how will anybody ever come to know Jesus? And so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that we don't establish presence, we don't establish influence by coming in and just announcing that we are here. We don't, we don't gain influence and presence by just announcing that we have arrived. In fact, you know, they used to, people come in and do that, and, and what do you immediately do to those people? You, you begin to ignore them, don't you? 
You don't come in and just announce that you're here and, and get presence by just yelling and barking at people. The best way that we can establish presence is by serving. By serving others. And so this entire series, as we ask this question, where our presence is in our homes and in the church and in the community and the world, the underlying thing that we're going to be driving home is how do, how do we serve in those places? So let's get to it this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Colossians 3.12. This is going to be our, our focus this morning. It's going to be the the kind of the central verse that ties everything together. I'm going to read several other scriptures and reference several other passages, but this verse is the one that is, again, it's just going to be the, the centerpiece of our message this morning. It'll be on screen in just a few minutes. As Christians, though, we're called to wear a certain brand. There's a brand that everyone in this room connects with. You can, you can go and you can see a billboard, and if I say Golden Arches, what brand am I talking about? McDonald's, very good. We can. I'm going to put a few up here on the screen in just a moment. But everybody connects with a brand. It's because our society drives the marketing force that way so that we identify with something and so it helps their, their bottom line. And as Christians, we're called to wear a certain brand. But I want you, I want you to see just how easy this works. So I've got a couple of brands and, and you'll recognize them all because of the marketing machine. So go ahead and show the first one. All right, what's this brand? Calvin Klein, all right, very good. Y'all know the next one? Under Armour, very good. All right, the next one? The Olympics. All right, last one. Nike, everybody knows those. Everybody identifies with those brands. I like to wear Nike and Under Armour clothes. It makes me feel athletic even though I'm not very. But all of these brands are, they're just that. And as a follower of Christ, we are called to wear a particular brand. And I want to cover this with, with this verse in Colossians 3.12. This verse sets up the brand that we are supposed to wear as Christians. And here's what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I want to just pause for just a moment there because it's essential for us to wrap our minds around that sentence. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Some people ask that question, well, who are God's chosen people? And there's a real simple answer for that. The answer is anybody who has ever said yes to Jesus, you are part of God's chosen people. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are part of His people. And so, God, so as God's chosen people, look at these next four words because these next four words make up our identity. We like to find our, our identity in, in lots of different things, but these next four words make up our identity. So since God has chosen you, excuse me, I'm sorry, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Holy and dearly loved. So if you are in Christ, you are part of His people, so you are holy and dearly loved. Some people say, well, I don't feel very holy. Well, me either. That's just it. None of us feel very holy. We're, we're not. By, by nature, we're not very holy. But the Bible says that we are made right inside of God because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. What we just celebrated in communion. We are made right with Him. And because we are made right with Him, we are dearly loved. And so it's essential for us to remember that, that we are holy and dearly loved. That's our identity. And if we wrap our identity in anything else, if it's in a job or in uh, our family or in material things, if we wrap our identity up in anything else, then our world will fall apart. It will crumble. It will not sustain itself because this is our identity as holy people and dearly loved by God. That's who we are. Everything else that we have, Everything in the world that we have could be taken from us on this day. We could lose it all. 
But this right here, this holy and dearly loved, that can't be taken from us. Jesus, in His grace, has offered us, offered us that without limitation. So understand that you are holy and dearly loved. And because of that, Paul says in verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I told you this morning that the title of this message is Where's Your Presence in the Home? That's what we're talking about this morning. And I think if you'll do these things that we're going to talk about this morning, you'll discover a new presence in your home, and the atmosphere in your home will begin to be more like Christ. And here's how I know this, because I was thinking about this verse, and we could keep reading into verse 13, and it talks about forgiveness, and, and we could just stop for a moment and, and, and talk about that. But if you just think about these five things that are mentioned in verse 12, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he says, clothe yourself with those things. If I began to clothe myself with those five things, what would my relationship with my spouse look like? What would my relationship with my kids look like? What would my relationship with my friends look like? And here's the thing about this, clothing yourself with that. It's a choice. He says, clothe yourself. Now, how many of you have ever gone to your closet, and you looked at your closet, and you were looking for what you were going to wear, and you said, clothes, get on me. Shirt, I'm going to wear this shirt, so shirt just... Get on me. It's not how it works, does it? You have to clothe yourself with the shirt. There's something you have to do for that. And it's the same way with this. You have to clothe yourself with these five things. You have to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And what we're going to see this morning is that this is not our natural bent. And so listen to me on this as, as we walk through these five, five words. But these five things that we're going to talk about this morning, they, these aren't five things that we have to do necessarily now I told you all those things that we're going to do and now I say we're not going to do it and here's why I say we're not going to do it because it's not just something that we have to do it's something that we have to become we have to become compassionate we have to become more kind we have to become humble we have to become gentleness we have to become um, patient Christianity isn't about doing anything it's about becoming we focus so much on the doing that we forget that we are to become more like Christ we're not to, not to do things that, that are going to make people happy. We're to become more like Christ. Did you notice the command of Christ is to follow me? That's what he went to the disciples. He said, come and follow me. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, go get all rid, rid of all these bad habits. Quit doing all the sin that you're involved in. Get rid of all of that. And then you can come follow me. No, that's not what he said. He said, come and follow me. And, and he said that because here's what happens. The more we follow Christ, the more those things we don't want to do. The more we become more like Christ. But we have this idea that we've got to get everything in our lives in order before we can follow Christ. We have to, we have to be perfect. Well, that's never going to happen. It's never going to happen if we think we have to get everything in order before we go follow Christ. There's a, there's a saying that I like. is that We've got to stop expecting non-Christians to act like Christians. They're not going to. They're not Christians. We can't expect them to act like people who follow Christ. What we need to do is invite them to follow Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, and as they fall in love with this person of who the person of Jesus is, these things that we don't like that they do, they'll stop. But guess what? That works for us too. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that we've got in our lives that we need to get rid of. And the more that we follow Jesus, the more that we become more like Him and we get rid of those, those sinful things in our lives. 
And so this morning, as we, we work through these things, we're going to work to become more like these things. We're going to work to become more compassionate, to become more kind, to become more uh, humble and gentle and patient. So here we go as we walk through these things. Number one, compassion. Clothe yourself with compassion. Compassion begins when I see as Jesus sees. One of the uh, most amazing things for me personally is just the life of Jesus. My favorite books in the Bible are, are the Gospels because within those four books contain the life of Jesus. And the incredible thing about the life of Jesus is that it leads to the heart of God. And one of the words that are, is used most often in Scripture to describe God is compassionate. In Matthew 14 where Jesus says, just found out that his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded. This was heavy news for him. And so he just wanted to get away with, it, with his guys. And so the Bible says in, in Matthew 14, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Anybody ever do that? You just, you just need some time. You, you need to process some information. And so you just got to get away from it. You just need a few minutes to yourself. It's why moms sometimes just disappear. And we don't know where they go or what they do, but they just disappear because they just need a couple of minutes. The kids have driven them nuts. The husband has driven, him nut, driven her nuts. And she just needs a few minutes to get herself together. They just disappear. And, and moms, women out there, you correct me if I'm wrong, but if somebody interrupts that time, it's going to be a long day, right? Yeah, well, well, that's what Jesus is doing here. Sometimes we lose sight that Jesus was fully God but also still fully human. And so this has been some bad news that he's gotten. His cousin has just been killed. And he needs a few minutes to just process the information. And so he gets with the guys, and they get in the boat. And they're just going to go off by themselves for a minute. Next part of the verse says, Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the, from the towns. Can you imagine that? Jesus just trying to get away for a few minutes. He just needs one minute. One minute to himself process everything that he hear, that's happened and the people hear this hear where he's going and they take off after him you know if that were me i'd probably be just i'd probably be just like peter just turn the boat around let's just go back there's no sense in even going over there that's where everybody's going let's just turn around and go back because that's me but verse 14 says when jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them and he healed their sick you know, if that verse, again, if that verse were written about me, it would say, when Adam landed and saw a large crowd, Adam said, what's wrong with you people? Can't you give me five minutes? How rude are you all? Just five minutes, that's all I want. What's wrong with you people? But, the, but that verse isn't about me. It's about Jesus. And when Jesus saw them, He saw them with compassion. Compassion is when we see people like Jesus sees people. And let me explain to you why this is so important in our relationship with our kids and with our spouses and with our friends. Because if we're not careful, the people that we are closest to, our natural inclination is to view them through the lens of condemnation and not compassion. That's what we do. We, 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 the people that are closest to us, we take out all of the stuff that's, that's pent up. We take all that stuff out on those people. I bet... If I give you a piece of paper and told you to write down all the things that your spouse, all the things that your kids do, all the things that your friends do that get on your nerves, if you would take a piece of paper and write it down, here's what would happen. You'd begin to write, and you'd write, and you'd write, and then you'd flip it over. And you'd start writing down stuff on the back side of the paper. And then some of you might even ask for another piece of paper. Because you know what's wrong with all of those people, right? We know what's wrong with them. 
But compassion is when we ask God to let me see them like He sees them. And that's a game changer. That changes everything. I learned this a couple of years ago. It wasn't long after we had just gotten Christy's car back from being fixed after she'd had a wreck. And, and she'd done quite a bit of damage to the car. And so we'd, we'd gotten it fixed. I'd, I'd paid the insurance deductible and all those kind of things. And we had had the car back about two weeks. And Christy came in the house one night and she said, Adam, I've got something to tell you. Which was odd. That she ever starts a conversation like that. And then she said, I was driving our car. And then I knew it was bad news. Because every other time it was her car, now it was our car. So I knew this was bad news. And she said, she said I was backing out of, out of a driveway and I hit a mailbox. And it's put a little dent in the, in the car and it scratched it a little bit. I said, okay. And because I'm a good husband, the first words that came out of my mouth were, are you Okay. That was not the first words that came into my head, but it was the first words that came out of my mouth. The first words that went into my head was, oh, how bad is it? And so I went down to, to, out, out to the driveway to look at the car. And I'll just say that when I saw the car, my first thought was, how many mailboxes did you hit? And did you like you drag it all the way down the road? I mean, there was a scratch that seemed like it went like all the way down. And I just knew. I just knew that there was going to be something done to the other side because, you know, if, if it was this bad on the other side, the other, the other side had to be even worse. And I went around and I looked, and there it was. This scratch that was just as long that I had put there a few days before because I got too close to the house when I was pulling the car in the garage. And suddenly that scratch didn't seem so big. And it was just that moment where God was saying, okay Adam, you get so focused on everybody else's mistakes, let me show you yours. And that's what we do. We, we view our, our spouse and our wife or our kids and, and our friends through this lens of condemnation. We focus on everything that they're doing wrong. And so compassion is just saying, I'm not going to take this posture and stand on this pedestal and point out and correct everything that you do wrong in this life. Because that's easy to do. That's our natural bent. Compassion is simply you and I having the courage to pray, Jesus, let me see my spouse. Jesus, let me see my friends. Jesus, let me see my kids like you see them. So clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourself with kindness. Kindness is demonstrated in what we say to and about one another. This is important. Kindness is demonstrated in what we say to and about one another. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, for His tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Did you catch that? What is it that leads us towards repentance? It's the kindness of God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As a kid, growing up, I didn't think of God as very kind. I grew up in a church where like probably many of you all did, and had probably a very similar experience. And I grew up in a, in a small town, country church, and we had lots of revivals. That just seemed like what you did those days, and they were two-week revivals. In fact, I was born in the middle of a summer two-week revival. And so from like three days old, I've been in church all my life. But as a kid, I would go, and the sermon was always pretty similar. It was, welcome to church. God's killing everybody. He might kill you today, and if you die without Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. 
And then there was an invitation. And in a lot of places, that was effective. But hearing that, I didn't think of God as kind. I thought of God as angry and mean. But then as we begin to look at the story of Jesus, this was a guy who, who really was kind to most of the people that he met. Now some of you say, well, wait a minute, what do you mean most of the people he met? He was kind to everyone. Well, no, not quite. He had, pre- he had some pretty harsh things to say to the religious leaders over in Matthew chapter 23. But Jesus was kind to most everybody he met. What if we adopted the value of kindness in our home? in our relationship with our spouses and our children, with our friends, that what we say to and about one another would be kind. You know, our words really do have an impact on our relationship with our spouses and our children. And sometimes we have to fight to be kind. Now that seems odd that we would say that, right? That we have to fight to be kind. But sometimes it is. It is a fight to be kind. Why is it that our default in talking with our spouses and our kids is not kind? Some stranger could come up to you on the street and ask you what the weather was going to be like tomorrow and you would turn into the next chief meteorologist to describe the forecast to them. But your spouse comes up to you and asks you what the weather's going to be like tomorrow and you're like, why don't you get your weather app and look at that? And that's exactly how we say it. We're nice to the people that we don't know, but the people that are the closest to us, the people that we have committed our lives to, we're not kind to. So we've got to say, I'm going to be kind to my spouse, to my kids, to my friends, and the words that I say to, that I say to them and about them. Because with your words, you can either build your spouse up or you can tear them down. What if for a week we said, I'm, not going to, I'm only going to say kind things to and about my spouse? For a week, let's do a little experiment. We said, for a week, we're only going to say kind things to and about my spouse. You know what would happen? Some of you wouldn't speak for a week. Kindness. And it's not just what we say to them, though. It's also what we say about them. So here's what that means. It means, guys, we can't get together with our bromance buddies and start dogging our wives. We can't. We just can't. It's got to stop. Well, the old ball and chain. Well, yeah, the old ball and chain. Of course it's going to be negative. That stuff's got to stop. There are a lot of men that have messed up marriages, and they get together with other men who have messed up marriages, and all they do is talk about how horrible their wives are. And on the flip side of that, ladies, when you get together with a group of, group of women, whether it be a Bible study group or a prayer group, and yeah, I know what happens in those groups, or a scrapbooking group, whatever kind of group, the goal of that group cannot be to see who has the worst husband. Lots and lots of ladies will get together and they will tear their husbands apart, and then they go home and wonder why there's so much tension in their home. What if we just say we're done with that? We're going to be done with that. We're going to speak kind words to and about one another. And I'm not saying this is easy. It's not. It's not our default. But if we want our homes to have a greater Christ-like presence, then we should serve each other with the kind words. If we could just clean up our language in in, in a way in which we talk to and about each other, it could have a dramatic effect in the presence in our homes. And you don't think it's important? It is, because your kids are watching. And how you talk to your spouse in front of your kids is what they will think is acceptable. And it's how they will begin to talk to their spouse when they're married. So clothe yourself with kindness. Clothe yourself with humility. Humility is when I seek to serve and not be served. So once again, we're going to go back to Jesus on this, but let's just just think of it in these terms, that God is over here 
and He's right and He's perfect and He's holy, and we're over here, well, and we're not. Nobody in this room this morning is here because we were struggling with how perfect we were this week. Nobody got up this morning and decided to come to church and said, you know, the struggle was just too much this week. I was just so good at everything I did. I was so on point. I was just perfect. I, you know, it was just such a hard struggle. I need to go to church this morning. No, that didn't happen. None of us had that conversation with ourselves because none of us are. In fact, the conversation was probably more like, God, I don't want to go to church this morning. I know I probably ought to, but I don't want to. But I'm going to go only because I've really, I've really screwed things up this week, so I'm going to go. So God is over here. He's being right, and instead of standing on, the side, on that side and looking down on us and saying, saying He's right and we're not, He sends Jesus. He sends Jesus into our situation, and, with, and in Philippians 2, it gives us three breathtaking words. Paul writes, He, he Jesus, humbled himself in other words jesus didn't step into our lives and say i'm right and you're wrong shut up jesus stepped in and said hey follow me and as we follow jesus guess what happens we don't become more self-seeking we become more humble we begin more self-serving no excuse me we don't become more self-serving we begin to serve others more and so the goal of our relationship with our spouses and our kids and our friends becomes not what they can do for me but what I can do for them, what, how I can serve them. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about complaining and whining, and, and really this right here, this is what takes away all of our complaints in our homes. Because there isn't any more of our, well, my husband doesn't do this, or my wife didn't do that, or my kids, they don't ever do anything. There's none of that. It's, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve my spouse. I'm going to serve my, my friends. I'm going to serve my kids, regardless of what they haven't done for me. What if we just decided this week we were just going to do one thing, one thing that would serve our spouse or our kids? Teenagers, what if you decided this week that you were going to serve your parents in some way? What would happen? Well, yeah, I know they'd fall over and you'd have to pick them up, and so that would be two acts of service. But what if we just said, we're going to serve them? You say, well, they don't deserve it. They, they, they didn't do this or they didn't do that. Or they did do this and it, it really offended me. They don't deserve for me to do that. Well, do we really want to go down that road? Do we really want to talk about what they deserve and what we deserve? Is that, is that really the story that we want, to, we want to have? Because if it is, we can talk about what we deserve. And it would be a whole lot like that sermon I was telling you about that I always heard as a kid. What we deserved... And what we got are two different things. What we got was grace. What we deserved was hell. And what we got was grace. Because Jesus humbled Himself. He stepped into our situation. And He humbled Himself. So we need to clothe ourselves with humility and serve others. Clothe yourself with gentleness. It's number four. Lack of gentleness is the result of ungodliness. I can tell you that, guys, it's not our natural bent to be gentle. And we like things that are rough. It's why we like contact sports. We like to watch a UFC and those mixed martial arts kind of things because they're rough. I'll tell you, a couple, uh, couple years ago, it was actually the first time I met Chris Crow. We were working a middle school week camp together. And uh, we were going to play this game. And I'll tell you, it was not the best design for a game. And I'll also tell you, it wasn't my idea. Just don't getting it out there. It was also not Chris's idea. So he was not guilty in this either. 
But we were going to play this game where the kids were going to be in two circles. One, one in a small circle, and, and then in the second circle was going to go around that one. And there was going to be a big ball that we pushed around. So you, and what would happen is the faculty members would push kids into the circle, and they'd have to run and avoid getting, uh, make, making contact with the ball. So think duck, duck, goose with like that big Indiana Jones uh, Temple of Doom ball that's chasing you. Think that's kind of what it looked like. And so we're playing this game, and, and the guy that came up with the game, he says, now this is what's going to work. Faculty, you're going to push the kids into, into the circle. And as soon as he told us that, and the kids were in the circle, all the faculty members went and lined up to behind one kid because that was the kid we wanted to push. Right? So there's always that one kid. And what we found out, though, was that the, more, the longer we waited for the ball to get close to them, the more we would laugh. Because inevitably, what would happen is we'd push them right in, and this big giant ball would, would just run right over them. And it was hilarious. At least we thought it was. And so the game's going along. It's a lot of fun. The adults are having a lot of fun. Kids, maybe not so much. But the, the adults are having a lot of fun with this. Now you, all you are thinking, I don't want to send my kids to camp with these guys. It's really not that bad. But we, uh, we're having a lot of fun, and it's getting late. The grass is getting wet. The sun's going down. And I'm standing behind this one little kid, and he's, he's four foot nothing, and he weighs 65 pounds soaking wet. And I pushed him into the circle, and I didn't see this other kid who is not four foot nothing. He's about five, 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 and he's got muscles on top of muscles, and he's a freshman in high school now. He plays football, and I, I have literally watched him drag three defenders uh, 50 yards for a touchdown. I mean, he's just a beast of a kid. He walks around flexing all the time. He makes all the adults jealous because we don't have that. And so we're, I pushed this kid into the circle, and these two kids got to the exact same spot at the exact same time. And you can imagine what happened. This little 65-pound kid, he went flying in the air, and he comes down, and all we hear is, Ugh! And it was glorious. I'm telling you, it was, it was fantastic. Eventually, we pulled the kid out of the circle. We drug him out so he didn't get run over. But guys, I tell you that because that's our natural bent. We like that kind of stuff. We're not gentle. Guys, you ever say to your sons, you're playing too rough? I tell my boys that all the time. Boys, just ease up a little bit. You're playing too rough. Somebody's going to hurt somebody. Girls, they don't play rough. Not like most, not like most guys do. And guys, though, we're always wrestling and roughhousing. And it's just what we do. That's our natural bent. We are not gentle by nature. And so we're rough and we're tough and we have to watch how we treat women and children because of that. But before I talk to guys about gentleness, ladies, I want to talk to you for a moment. So guys, you can, you can take a break. I will tell you, this is not the time to say amen or, or like be pointing fingers at your wife. It's going to get you in trouble later. But, but ladies, I just want to talk to you for a moment about being gentle. Because I've never met a man who said, man, I just love it when my wife nags me. I've never met a man who said, my wife's nagging was the thing that got me to be the man I needed to be. I've never met one. 1 Peter 3.1 talks about the thing that will win a man to God. And if you win him to God, you'll also win him to you. It's in verse 4. It says that the inner beauty comes from a gentle spirit. The inner beauty comes from a gentle spirit. But women, let's be honest, a gentle spirit isn't always your default. It's the nag and the scream and the yell. And some of you would say, well, I can't help it. If you lived with my husband, that's what you would do too. You'd say, I can't help it. That's the way I am. 
And let me just say that if that's who you say that you are, and I say this with all love, but with all boldness too, if that's who you say that you are, then you are broken. You say, well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. Because Paul wrote in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine things that is the fruit, not fruits. Notice it's singular, it's not plural, it's the fruit of the Spirit. All nine of those things are intertwined together. And so if you have the Spirit of the living God living in you, then He will equip you to have self-control when you feel like you're out of control. And women, you have an obligation to God, if that's wrong, to get it right. Solomon had something to say about nagging wives. He should know he had 700 wives. Should you ever think about that? That's 700 mothers-in-laws. Maybe he wasn't the wisest man after all. But he has something to say about nagging wives. He says in Proverbs 19.13, A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping roof. So women, the next time your husband says to you, Hey, I was looking at the roof the other day and I thought about you. That's not a compliment. Proverbs 21.9, he writes, Better is to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. You get what he's saying there? He says it's better for you to go out in the middle of nowhere where nothing can live, where life is not sustainable. It's better for you to go out and stay there than to live in a house with a nagging wife. All I'm saying is, ladies, you have a call from God to be gentle because you're never going to yell Him into the man that He needs to be. Now, guys, we have an obligation to be gentle as well. And it's not in our nature. We play rough. But remember that verse I talked about with the ladies, 1 Peter 3, 4? Well, Peter has something to say to us too. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, have you ever been like, I just don't understand this woman. I don't understand this woman. I married her, but I don't understand her. You don't have to raise your hand because that's every man in here. Someone once said there's only two things you need to know about women. I don't know what they are, but there's only two things that you need to know. But that's why we're commanded to to try to live with our wives in an understanding way. That's the only way that we stay married, is that we, we step into that every day asking God, help me live with my wife in an understanding way. That's the only way that it works. And some of you guys are like, my wife doesn't understand me. Well, sorry, she wasn't commanded to. She wasn't commanded to try and understand you, but you, men, we are commanded to try and live with our wives in an understanding way. 1 Peter 3.7 Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So in other words, husbands, treat your wife with honor as the weaker vessel. That means with delicacy and dignity. Which means a couple of things for us. It means, men, we don't yell at our wives. Men, sometimes you say, I I just blow up and guilty as charged. I just blow up. I just start yelling at her. But if you just explode on your wife, you just explode on your children, you just explode on your friends, that's not becoming more like Jesus. Because if we want to be men after God's own heart, when we are men after God's own heart, that means that we treat His daughter, the daughter of the King, we treat her with respect and dignity. And honor. 
And it's not our natural bent to be gentle, but here's the big reason why we're told to do this. We're told to treat women with honor and dignity and respect so that your prayers won't be hindered. you catch what that verse says? Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessels, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, we say all the time that God hears every prayer, and we say that a lot of times because we want to make ourselves feel better that God hasn't answered a prayer in the way that we wanted Him to. And so we say, well, well, we know He hears our prayers. Maybe. But maybe not. Maybe you haven't been treating your wife, your spouse, with honor and dignity and respect, and so God isn't hearing your prayers. You've been praying about something for a long time, and you, you, this job promotion, you've been praying about it, I really want this, God, this is what I, what I want, and nothing seems to be happening. You want to get your relationship with, your, with the Father in Heaven right? Get your relationship with your wife right. Because your prayers are being hindered because you're not treating your spouse, your wife, with honor and dignity and respect. This is huge for us, men, that, that our prayer life isn't getting through to the Father because of the way that we treat our spouse. That's huge. So men, we have to be gentle. It's not our natural bent. I know it's not. But we have to be gentle with our spouse, with our kids with our friends. So clothe yourself with gentleness. Lastly, clothe yourself with patience. Patience is not passiveness, but a willingness to allow God to shape your spouse and your children in His time, not yours. You ever thought about your wife or your husband or your children, and you just think, they're just not quite where I want them to be. They're just, you know, they're just not where they want to be. Christy, she's just not where I want her to be. Noah and Eli, they're just not where I want them to be. They're They're close. But yet, they, they still have so much more that they need to get to. If that's what we think about our spouse or our children or our friends, then let's think about what God thinks about us. Because I'm sure if we were to able to interview God and ask Him what He thought about me, it'd be, well, Adam, well, you know, He's, he's good, but he's, he's not where I want Him to be. He's not, he's not right exactly where I need Him to be. He's not, in fact, He's not even in the ballpark. And what's, what's really scary is he probably would say, well, you know, he's really not even in the parking lot. Patience is allowing, uh, allowing God to shape our, our spouse, our children, into who they need to be and giving them the time to become that. Second Peter 3, nine says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When people ask why Jesus hasn't come back yet, this is the verse, this is the reason I always give them. Maybe he's waiting on you. Maybe he's waiting for you to get in a right relationship with him. He's reaching out from heaven this week, just like he did last week, and the week before that, and the week before that, and he's and he's just he's he's waiting for you. He's patient. He's just waiting for you to respond. And he's not going to make you. He's not going to force you. He's just waiting for you to come back to Him. Let me ask you this. How patient is God with you? How many times do we go to Him and we say, Lord, I screwed this up. Please forgive me. Please help me get this right. And then it seems like the next day we go right back to Him asking forgiveness for the same thing. In fact, I would venture to guess that all of us have that one thing that we ask God for forgiveness for over and over and over and over again. And yet... We're still here. God is patient with us. 
And that same patience that God shows to us, what if we show that to our spouses, to our children, to our friends? What if we, we just were patient with them? Yeah, they're going to do stuff that gets on our nerves. Yeah, they're going to drive us nuts some days. But what if we were just patient with them and allowing God to shape them in His time, not ours? What would happen in our homes, in our relationships with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends if we took these five values and they became a part of our lives? That we would begin to live these five things out, that we would begin to, to be more compassionate, that we would begin to be kinder, that we, be, we would begin to be uh, humble and gentle and patient. My prayer for, for me and for you is that we, begin, that we would begin today to live out these five values, that we would become these five things, that we would become compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Not just do, but become. And if we are successful, then our homes will see a greater presence of Jesus than it has ever seen before. And we'll have more influence with our spouse, with our kids. You know, here's the, here's, here's the sad thing, is that once kids leave the home, parents become uh, a secondary and, and, and even less influencer in their life. So right now, while your kids are at home, you are the primary influencer. So don't waste it. Don't waste this time by not having a presence in your home with your kids because you're not patient or you're not kind or you're not gentle. Don't waste this time that you have to be the primary influence because these are things that our kids need to see modeled from us. And I'm, you know, really, I can't think of a better Christmas present than for our homes to have more of a Christ presence in them. That would make for a pretty good Christmas, wouldn't it?